It is good to be here with you. My name is Drew. I'm the pastor here at Hope Community Church in Columbia Heights, Minnesota, 55421. I'm trying to extend our name so it's the first sure will always be the longest name. If anything, we'll be known for that. Um, excited that you're here. I, th- I love this question. In fact, we um, recently at our house watched the movie A Wrinkle in Time uh, just this weekend, and we were talking about this yesterday about time travel and uh, a little bit, just like how cool it would be. And then it, it, we paused, and then it, later my daughter said, oh, wait a second, everybody. And she wanted to gather us to tell us she thinks she figured it out. Uh, her theory did not work, I don't think. But she thinks she's on to something. So uh, just FYI, my daughter might invent time travel. And then I will retire early. I assume that will make a lot of money and also probably help with lots of things. But um, uh, I, I would love, uh, there's so many places. And I know like the pastor's going to say he wants to go back and hang out with Jesus. Yeah, I would love to hang out with Jesus. It would just be cool to be around that time, like in the place, uh, around in, in the Middle East and in, in Rome and those places. Like, cause as I read those in scripture, as I like open my Bible up, I mean, you can kind of picture, we can read history and understand those things more now probably than ever understand what it was like. Um, but to like be there and like being crowds of people walking by you and the smells and oh, be incredible, um, to be there. And today that's a little bit of my hope is that we're going to get to be kind of archaeologists and historians. Um, and uh, we're going to need a lot of opportunity to look even at a mirror a little bit. And so today, get ready for this. Put on your archaeology hats. I assume all look like fedoras because uh, the greatest of all archaeologists. Uh, if you've seen the documentaries, Indiana Jones, there's three, four of them, I believe. Fourth one's actually not real. It's fiction. But the th- first three were real. Uh, we're going to travel back. Grab your, your uh, trowels and brushes. We're going to kind of be archaeologists a little bit. We're going to look back. Um, and, and think about what it was like, what this civilization, a culture looked like. Look at some maps, look at some history to better understand the book of Ephesus because today we're starting our series in that. And also uh, take a little opportunity to even look in the mirror a little bit at who we are because this book that we're looking at does a lot of that. Uh, and so today we're going to introduce ourselves to the book of Ephesus, of Ephesus, uh, of Ephesians, which is about the people, which is written to people in a place called uh, Ephesus. And so our series uh, begins. We're going to be walking through this book, the book of Ephesians, which is in your uh, New Testament, um, towards kind of the back of the Bible. Um, there's a letter that was written. We're going to get into that, um, but we're going to be walking through that until May, through May. And so we're going to take some time to slowly walk through this. There's lots of great stuff that God wants to encourage us with and challenge us with. Um, this is one of my favorite uh, books. The Bible. I go to often that encourages me, challenges me. I think um, this is when I find myself reading sometimes all the way through. It's only six chapters, and I'll start reading it, and I find myself finishing it. Um, so I'm excited for that. Maybe you're someone who likes to be really in the book that we're in uh, for a few months together, and so I encourage you, this could be the time to read this, different translations of it or um, different ways or with people or um, however you do that. So we're just going to start. We're going to get right into Ephesians, and the first verse, we're going to look at one verse today. Um, so some of you, that might be the a dream. A dream just came true. Only one verse. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, uh, and we're really going to dive into that verse because that verse, uh, as we unpack it, will kind of introduce us to this book. Here's Ephesians 1, 1. 
It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. This is his introduction to, to a letter he's writing to this church in Ephesus, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. This is it. This is, this is what we're going to do. So we're going to look at kind of three main things here. We're going to look at who this person is who wrote the letter, or who we think maybe wrote the letter, Paul. What, what is this first sign? We're going to look at what this Ephesus place is. It's good to know the people that this letter was written to, or the region, to better understand as we read it, what um, what's going to come up, what kind of things maybe are talked about, or in the way they're even talked about because of the place they're in. And then also, what is this um, this idea of to saints who are faithful. What does that look like? So those are kind of the big three things we're hoping to tackle today. We'll start with Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Who is this Paul guy? What does this have to do uh, with anything? Here's a photograph of Paul writing. Uh, this was before. There's your first history lesson. No email then. So he couldn't email this. He had to write a letter. Um, and actually, here, we're going to start with Paul, and then I'm going to start with this disclaimer. Some people actually consider the book of Ephesians not written by Paul. So maybe someone else's fate. This actually may not be Paul. We don't actually know. This is just a guy with a beard. Back then, everyone had big beards, so it could have been anyone. Some people are unsure um, of if Paul wrote this. Actually, about 200 years ago, uh, uh, some scholars started saying, maybe this book wasn't necessarily written by Paul. The writing in the book seems to be broad and not as specific as other writings of Paul. Paul's someone who wrote, we're going to kind of get into his history here soon, but he wrote other books of the New Testament, other letters. The writing seems a little different. In other writings, he specifically talks about, uh, like, names people and, and situations in churches, and this one not so much as specific. The writing seems a little different. In fact, he uses different phrases that might even be unique to the book of, of um, Ephesians that are different than books like Colossians or Romans that he wrote. Um, and so there's there's question, did Paul actually write this? Or maybe um, it could have been common, maybe an associate of Paul's wrote this, someone who uh, he actually maybe dictated it to or helped him write it, or someone who knew his writing enough, or maybe even someone wrote this and used Paul's name because they knew it would, like, people would hear it uh, if it, if they used Paul's name. Um, and so and maybe even parts of this had been added or taken away from uh, through through time. Um, also, there's many, many versions of letters. So as we com combine our Scripture, as Scripture becomes canon, like uh, it, it gets put together, these different letters and histories that we have today as our Bible today, it, within that, um, there's oftentimes one of the reasons we know it's Scripture that it's the same is because there's tons of manuscripts uh, in lots of different places that are all exact, that are all the same, or very, very similar. And so they'd say, hey, there's all these versions of Ephesians, God inspired this person to write, and then it, it traveled all over, and God kept it uh, almost exactly the same. There's some that don't say uh, in Ephesus. They just say, this is a letter from Paul written to the saints that are faithful. And some say this is a letter written to Ephesus uh, to faithful saints in Ephesus, but not necessarily from Paul. It just says from an apostle. So because of those things, I just want to share this so you're aware. There is some people un unsure if Paul wrote it or if maybe an associate of his wrote is, is a, a, what people think might be likely. E either way, in all that, it's still Scripture, and uh, it still has really important things. I actually think it still is uh, likely written by Paul, uh, that as it starts, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the people in Ephesus. Uh, that, that is an ancient 
There's many documents in ancient literature of that. So I just want to say that as we start, so you kind of have an idea. But but I want to look at a little bit of the of Paul's life because I think this for me is is kind of what puts me over. As I hear Paul's life and even what he's went through, and as he's writing to this church, uh, things come out in that that feel like this is a man who knows these people in this place and has went through some things that, that he really wants to emphasize in this book. Um, and, and historically, we still have held to that. Paul Paul wrote this, and so uh, I want to I want to look at who Paul is and a little bit of his history, so we know who is this person first who just wrote the letter. The letter started somewhere; it got sent to Ephesus to the churches there. Who is this person? Uh, this is Paul. Say hello to Paul. He was born around the same time as Jesus was born, but in a city uh, called Tarsus, which is in southern Turkey. So he's around the same age as Jesus, uh, and he was schooled as a Pharisee or a religious leader. In fact, he was a really good religious leader. He actually says this in the book of Philippians. Uh, he says, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in their flesh, I have more. So he says, if you think you, you're great, look at my history. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. For, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So he's saying here, I was in the right family that performed all the right rituals when I was little. I grew up in that lineage, the right tribe, the right ethnicity. I was a great student. I followed the rules. I learned everything. I became this leader amongst Pharisees. If you want to talk about my zeal, my passion, I was so passionate, I was willing to persecute the church. I was willing to imprison and kill Christians. If you want to talk about my rightness with God, if that's how it worked, if it's dependent on how well I follow the rules, I was faultless. He's like, I was, I was the goat, right? Not actual goat, that would have been bad for him to be a goat because uh, of the law, but he was the greatest of all time. He, uh, he was really good at what he did, and he had the right lineage. He had it all, right? He had it all. So we know that about his history growing up in Tarsus and becoming a Pharisee. He eventually became a leader who actually then uh, went around. We actually hear in the, in, the, in the book of Acts, we hear a lot of actually the story of Paul uh, as an adult. And so we hear first we get introduced to, to him when, when he was called Saul, and he was not a friend of the church or of Jesus in fact, in Acts 9, uh, before this we hear about him, but in Acts 9 we hear this. We hear, meanwhile, Saul, this is our friend Paul, who was born Saul, was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So the guy we're about to read a, a book that he wrote to encourage the church and point people to Jesus, we first get to hear about how he was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went on to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there that belonged to the way, this is what they tell the people who are following the way, Jesus is the way, and he, part of Jesus' group here, these Christians, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And earlier we hear that he actually uh, was part of groups that were killing people who were professing faith in Christ. And so we hear about a man whose devotion and zeal played out in this way. His, his view of, of the world and himself and who God was played out with a passion to stop this group that was saying 
Jesus was God. Jesus rescues people. He, he, he is in a place where his identity uh, powered his emotions or his actions in a way that he was willing to hurt people, um, kill people, imprison people because they were threatening his way of religion and really life because there was this way of grace that, was, that they were proclaiming, that Christ had done the work and that faith in him is what brought you into God's family. And in fact, people were even saying non-Jewish people were allowed in, which for Paul would have been, Saul at this point would have been blasphemy, right? That's, that's crazy. I have all the right things, um, the right birth, the right education, I follow the rules, and now you're saying people who don't do that get in. And so he was passionate about this. Now his story, it continues, and right after this is when we hear a enormous change. Actually, everything changes for him. Let's see what changes. The next verse we hear is when it all unravels. And I don't know if it unravels as much as is kind of built back for him. He says, as he neared Damascus, or he's going to Damascus to find out who are the people following the way so he can imprison them. Uh, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? You notice he's walking. It's bright. A voice comes. It's got to be disorienting. It says, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. He says, who, who, are, who is this person? Who gets to tell me that? Who, who is it? And it says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Jesus comes to him. He replied, now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. Jesus comes. He has an encounter with Jesus, like with Jesus on a road. Uh, I, I can't imagine all the emotion, all the feeling, all, all that happens in the moment that a, a voice is just heard and it tells him, you're going to go into this city. Now this is the story we know. Paul's eyes get covered with scales. He goes into a city. Uh, he's blind for three days. He can't see. He's just got to be thinking through everything, thinking through uh, all this law, all this history he has, this zeal he has. Did he just meet this Jesus who doesn't, he's been saying isn't what he thinks he is, and he's been hurting these people, Jesus' people. Now he thinks, and then he sends this man in the city. This uh, God comes to this man and says, hey, this the Spirit sends him to Paul and says, hey, I want you to go to this Paul and uh, tell him he gets to go tell everyone about Jesus. And he goes to him and the scales fall off his eyes. This great, this great imagery, this great, he just kind of acts out his conversion that he goes from really being blind to now really truly seeing the world. And this is, this is wild. Think about it historically. He was on his way to continue his work that he'd been doing and doing well of imprisoning, persecuting, killing Christians. Suddenly on the road, this experience with Jesus no one sees him for a few days. And then when he comes out of a home, he now says, you should follow Jesus. It's the last thing, right, that, that you'd think he would do or that he'd think he would be doing is now saying, hey, that thing we've been trying to stop, it's real. And so he actually does that, and they run him out of town. Understandably, I think, I even picture it as like maybe the same people he had trained, like people who had been his uh, in classes with him on how to arrest and and prison Christians were now using that same training that he had trained to now try to do that to him. 
he now was following Jesus. And he didn't just say, I'm going uh, to set up a house here and, and get a family and just kind of figure out how to live life. Um, he went kind of all in. And so Paul then went on many missionary journeys. He went all over the place. He was called by God to go and tell people, and not just Jewish people, but Gentiles, people who were not Jewish, say, hey, you actually are in the family too. Jesus died and rose for you as well. So here we got our first map of the day. If you're a map person, this is a wild map. What is going on here? It's kind of chaotic. It is kind of chaotic. Paul left Damascus and traveled all over the place. The white line is his first little journeys uh, around as he traveled around the region. He went to places like Antioch, Salamis, Paphos. This is my favorite one. Perga of Pamphylia. Isn't that a great name? Pergo of Pamphylia. He went all over the place, planting churches, sharing about Jesus, joining this group that was saying, Jesus is the way. This, this is where salvation comes. This is what changes you. This is how you connect with God and become part of God's family. He then goes on other journeys through uh, all, all over. It kind of gets broader this time. In his second journeys, he goes to places, and one of those places is Ephesus. If you notice on the map, some of those names you might be familiar with, or some of these you might, uh, he goes to Philippi, tells people about Jesus, starts these, these groups of people, these little families who um, he trains leaders in, and they form these churches where they meet together and encourage each other in the gospel, and together they go care for people and care for each other, and they continue to share this good news. Goes to places like Thessalonica, which we hear about in the book of Thessalonians, like we hear about the, the, the people of uh, Philippi and Philippians. These are all letters he wrote back to the people he knew because he had traveled these places. Corinth, Colossae, we get the book of Colossians. Galatia, we hear, get the book of Galatians. These are places he traveled in all of his journeys for many years. Uh, he would take boats and walk and... Uh, uh, travel with other companions, other people, in all the places saying, God has called me to go to these places, tell people about Jesus, start these churches. Some he stayed for a while, some he stayed for just days, some he stayed for moments <laughs> as he got there, and then people tried to kill him, and so he left. Moments where he was uh, almost stoned to death, or maybe actually was stoned to death, drug outside the city, and then he uh, awakes or comes back to life or whatever happens, and then goes back in to tell more. His, his work was not done. One of the things we know, though, is that he did spend time in Ephesus. There's our first little look at Ephesus. Beautiful, isn't it? It's very nice. We're going to get more into Ephesus in a minute. But on his journey, he followed. He actually went through Ephesus a few times. One time he went just shortly, and then he said, I'll actually be back. And he came back for over two years uh, and taught uh, and raised leaders up. And those people actually went and started churches in other areas in the region. And so that region has a history of churches still today that trace themselves back to Paul. Say, hey, when was your church planted? Like we would say at home, oh, we just celebrated 25 years, right? We've been planted. And you go, oh, that's cool. Our church was planted by Paul 2,000 years ago. Go, oh, cool. Well, we're, we're babies, right? It's, it's really a, an exciting thing. And eventually uh, in we think about 59 or 60 A.D. He was imprisoned in Rome. Uh, this was kind of his last 
place, his last stop. And this is where he wrote some of these letters. We think this is where he wrote Ephesians. He wrote letters back to these churches, encouraging them, sometimes rebuking them, saying, hey, you're doing some stuff, not okay. Uh, encouraging them to follow Jesus and to love, to love the Lord. He, he wrote the letters uh, of Colossians, which you see in our New Testament, Philippians, Philemon, Philemon, and, and uh, Ephesians, we think, in those years as he was imprisoned, kind of on house arrest in Rome. And so we get this letter from this man who calls us to a life with Jesus. From a law or workspace relationship where he did all the right things and that's what made him right with God, his life flips and now he's in this grace-based relationship with God where he says, Jesus has done the work. God has invited you and you don't have to clean yourself up or do all the right things. Come to him and then let him change you and then from there we'll see what he does with you, how it changes what it looks like. At the end of his life, he writes these letters to churches that he just loves, churches that he saw start. He, he can picture people in his minds that he saw his life's change. Churches started. He got to teach in these synagogues, telling people, you want to follow God, this is what it looks like. He saw many, many people know Jesus, many people trained to be church leaders. And then he sits down and he writes this letter to this church, to these people in Ephesus. That's what we get to read. And so our next stop on our little archaeology history tour uh, is Ephesus. He wrote it to the people in Ephesus. We got a little taste of where Ephesus was. Uh, that's where we are on the left. If you're not unsure, it's the United States. At the time, was not called the United States. And we kind of travel around the world here a little bit to the Mediterranean Sea, to the Middle East. We zoom in, you see Turkey there. I thought I had a, I thought this had a laser pointer. It's sort of the one week I got to do laser pointers. Imagine I'm doing that around Turkey. Um, uh, there's Turkey. It's, uh, and on the, the left side there, on the west coast of Turkey, we zoom in a little bit more. Well, the maps are going to change a little bit, but we see Ephesus. See right there, right on the coast. Ephesus is in the neighborhood of Colossae. See, these, these are other places that actually they believe some of these places we know of. We know the church is there because Paul came to Ephesus, spent some years there, and they sent people out who actually went and started churches in these other places. You see even like across the sea there, that was one of his journeys from Ephesus to Corinth. That's where we see the Corinth where the book of Corinthians 1 and 2 were written. They were having some trouble in that church, and he wrote some things for them to think about. And then we even see in the world at the time some of the major players and cities. And this is where Paul was. He was in Rome. And so this letter is from our friend Paul. And it was sent, probably given to someone who had to walk it and ride something and then take a ship. And he eventually got to the people in Ephesus. A city right on the coast. A city with beautiful architecture giant buildings. It was a wealthy city. In fact, it was a major city in the region. Some uh, historians of the time called it the most important city in uh, Asia, in the Roman province of Asia. It's a big deal. Uh, partially it was because it was right on the water, and it was right by some mountains, and it was right on a river. It was a perfect location for boats and commerce and all sorts of things to come together. It was a center of culture, of sporting activity. 
It had an enormous theater we're going to look at in a second. It was also the religious center of the whole region. In fact, for some, it was kind of the center of the universe uh, for religion. It had these, uh, if you can picture this, it had this main city, and then it had this uh, long road that went from the city to the harbor because it was such an important commerce thing. And the city uh, at one point was lined with huge pillars, or the road was. And so there was this road, this like highway, all the way down to the water where all these boats would come in and all these goods would come back into the city. And in the city there would be these markets and these places you get things from around the world. Uh, new technology, new foods. You'd experience other cultures from around the world in this place called Ephesus. It was kind of a collection of all these people and all these places. It was built on a settlement, uh, an original settlement of people in that area. Uh, and, and at the point Paul was there, they believed people could have been living there up to a thousand years before he got there. Uh, just in that area, it had slowly grown and built. It's such a perfect place between mountains and a river and the, and the sea. It had many rulers over time, but earlier in its history, uh, it became the worship site of Artemis or Diana, depending on if you were Greek or Roman, the goddess Artemis. And in fact, eventually became the largest temple to Artemis in the world in, in history. It became this religious and economic center of, in the region. People would come from all over to see it. In 133 BC, it was handed over to Rome, um, handed over as a loose term, uh, given to Rome. Uh, There's some force used in that, but it was given to Rome. And they believe at one point the city of Ephesus could have been between 300 and 350,000 people. It's enormous in that time. There were so many places for people to live and work. And then really at the center of the city was this enormous temple, the temple of Diana or Artemis. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It's spoken about lots of uh, ancient history. People just mention uh, it. things are so often compared to the size of it. So... Uh, there are even like stories written where they'll say like their ego was so big it was as if they were the temple of Artemis. It was just known as this enormous, enormous place. It was 425 feet long, 220 feet wide. It had 127 marble columns. This, is just, this isn't a photograph. This is just a sketch. Uh, enormous. 62 feet high. This would be incredible today to walk up to. I can't imagine how they built it. Was, it was decorated with ornate carvings. It had priceless paintings in it. People came from all over to see this thing. However, the greatest part of it for people was this image of Artemis or Diana. It's said to, the legend is that it actually fell from heaven. This image of Artemis fell from heaven, landed there, and Artemis founded the city. If you ask people when Paul came, said, hey, how did this city, where did this city come from? When he came and maybe was trying to figure out the people in the history of this place, they would say, well, Artemis founded the city. She came and, and, and built this place. That's why it's so prosperous and successful. It's so holy. The temple was very popular amongst people in the area. In fact, it was blended in with the culture. At that, at that place, they weren't really separated. Like in our culture, sometimes we kind of, we, we see that separated, like people's religious beliefs and the rest of their life. 
Um, and there it was really mixed in. She was a part of all things. Even people just went to her to sacrifice to her so their businesses would do well. Um, and if things weren't going well, it was because there was something uh, amiss. She was not happy. She was the god of fertility, of chastity, all things in that category, of hunting, of wild game. She often was depicted uh, having many breasts or lots of eggs around her as symbols of fertility. She's also pictured sometimes like with a bow, an arrow, like she's hunting. She was definitely the center of life. Um, we see in the book of Acts mention of her in, uh, in that temple. And this is actually like a current picture. So that was a drawing. These are actually current ruins of the city of Ephesus. Incredible. I couldn't, I'd love to go. And this is one more part of Ephesus that I think that helps us understand it. It was handed over to Rome, and they built this enormous theater. This theater holds 25,000 people. It's still there. You can go and uh, hang on. I don't believe they're doing shows there uh, anymore. Couldn't see your favorite band, but pretty incredible. I mean, this is incredible for me today to see. If I walked in there, I'd kind of be overwhelmed, but I cannot imagine at a time when this is something you never saw. Enormous, bustling. This is a place to travel if you needed the newest technology. Everything could be there by, by a ship. You, you travel there maybe just even a few times to worship Artemis in her place, in her uh, place, uh, you know, the city she founded. So it'd be lots of religious activity, lots of economic activity. And because of that, this was a, this was a city where people didn't need to work just to survive. This happens, we, we don't always feel this as much uh, culturally for us because this is normal kind of for us. But this was a place where people could have a job, a very specific task they did. Let's say they just made uh, like idols for people to worship. And so they're just a blacksmith who made these statues that people bought to bring home or to bring into honor Artemis. You could just do that and make money that you could actually still then like go home and hang out with your family or your friends. You weren't living like maybe someone who lived outside of the cities where they had to do all things. They had to be able to like farm and grow food so they could survive. They didn't know how to trade with people to get things they couldn't get. They lived maybe a lot simpler life, but a, but a hard life where you worked sun up to sundown and survival was a lot more of your work. Well, they lived in a city where that wasn't necessarily always the case for people, especially people at least that were wealthier. And so it was a place where things like philosophy and uh, religious discussion and new thoughts came about because people had kind of had time to think about things. We hear in the book of Acts, um, when Paul is in Athens, there's this group of people who just hang out at this place and think about what life is like. And so because of the city and because of all that was happening, um, that gave way to kind of this culture there where that was even different than what would have been around it. There was often cults that were created in uh, Ephesus around certain people or ideas. It was a, a prime location for a cult to begin, where people begin to worship a person, and that person even manipulates those people. Um, it was very unique in that. The other part of Ephesus, uh, not just a bustling, exciting city, is some of the history of how Ephesus was created. Ephesus was built, um, much like many civilizations, um, on the backs of people from the areas that were captured, enslaved, or sometimes just their communities were destroyed. And they didn't know where to go. They didn't have anywhere to go. And so then these cities offered them 
jobs, or they could become servants in people's homes. And so the city was diverse, very diverse uh, ethnically, diverse culturally, diverse uh, economically, all these ways, like a lot of cities were. Uh, and in fact, uh, this is where some of the culture of Ephesus came from. They, you'd meet people from around the world, at least from around the region, that even the Romans had kind of taken in to build the city. You don't build something like this uh, unless you have some people who are willing or you are made to build it. And so there was, there was that in the city as well. There was wealthy people, and there was very, very poor people, and there was even uh, uh, areas of slavery in that region. There's areas of servitude in people's lives. Um, there was desperation in people who um, uh, didn't get to enjoy lots of the great things of Ephesus, but made sure all those happened because of their work. It was a great place for the gospel to come in and preach a word of, uh, of unity and peace to people. In fact, Rome had a motto that they would say that was um, historically in Ephesus, or at least some of the officials, the leaders of Ephesus would say um, that some must suffer and even some lose their lives for peace. And so if there's ever uprising, people saying, hey, this isn't right, maybe how this is happening to these people, uh, Rome would say, this is how it works, though. Sometimes some people have to die some people have to be hurt. Some people have to be put down, uh, enslaved in order for there to be peace. If you want the peace that you're experiencing here, the prosperity, then some have to die. And so this phrase that these people would say, that the original phrase of that, actually Paul uses in the book of Ephesians. I love this. There's so many of these great moments in Ephesians we're going get to uh, get to see. But he actually uses this phrase that Rome would use except he, he flips it. He says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. So he uses this similar phrase that they were using in Ephesus to say, no, there's just some people who have to suffer and die if we all want to have peace. And he says, there is someone who came and suffered and died so that we could all have peace and unity. It's Jesus. I love that. I can't imagine how much that rang in the heads and hearts of people there, when he writes this letter back and he says, hey, that peace, that phrase you keep hearing from people there, uh, it's Jesus who does that. Someone does have to die and suffer for peace, but it's not, it's not you doing that to other people, it's Jesus himself. And that gets us to our last thing. Just quickly, we're going to talk about this in the next few months a lot, but I want to in encourage you in this. He says these phrases, to the saints... And he says, the faithful. He uses these two phrases to describe the people of Ephesus, the church there in Ephesus. We'll start with the... There's a reason why there's two words here. It's not just to the saints in Ephesus or to the faithful. And I love this. This really captures the essence of the whole book of Ephesians. He says first to the saints. This word actually means uh, to God's people, it's not a word so much describing the actual people, like describing us, as describing who we belong to. You know that? That's a, that's a really helpful word. And this is really how the book of Ephesians uh, kind of rolls here in two parts. So it says, like, to God's people, is another way you might see this translated, to the people who belong to God, or that God has made his people, to those who God has made his people. 
This is really important as we study because chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians, the first half of Ephesians, really describes this. It describes who God is and then who that in turn makes us. It's a book about who God's identity is and who we are. In a time, I think, always, but now, today, when you say, I'm not sure who I am or what I'm supposed to be, or even I know who I am in Christ, but I, I hear things and my heart says different or my mind says different or people around me say different. The first part of Ephesians is Paul saying, hey, this is who you are. And so he's addressing to the saints, to those who belong to God, the ones who Christ did a work so that you could be called his. I'm writing this to you. Just a sampling of what we get to get to. Here's just a quick sampling as we run through it. These are things that we hear about our identities. The book is going to tell us. It's going to remind us that we're chosen, that we've been adopted to his family, that we've been redeemed, that we're heirs to his inheritance. He's exercising power for us, that he's made us alive when we were dead. He's created us for good works, that he's brought near to us, that he created the church to reveal the gospel, that he brings enemies together, and that he is building a dwelling place of God in us. And just that alone is enough. That's great for my day. If I woke up and could remember those great truths. And so the first part, as he says, saints, he's saying, hey, those who have been chosen by God, God has done a work and made you his people. And we're going to get to remind you in the first part of this letter who you are because of who God is and what he has done. And then he goes on and he says, our, uh, those who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. He uses a word then, uh, faithful. Faithful, now this word actually is a word that means uh, one who trusts or who like turns their allegiance to someone that is trustworthy. And so there's this uh, great play here, right? It says, those who God has made his people and then those who have trusted that truth, who have taken action to move towards God. And this again is how the book works. It's a book that in chapters 1 through 3, we're going to hear about who God is and who we are. And then we're going to hear about what does it look like if that's true? What does it look like for us to be faithful? What does it look like to be people who then our actions flow out of that first building of who we are, of knowing our identities and then playing out? So chapters 1 through 3, us being saints, makes chapters six, 4 through 6 possible. So just again, a little bit of what we get to see. Our sainthood, our being, our being made God's people by Christ, makes it possible that we can be faithful and do things like this. We can put off anger and lies and stealing and gossip and bitterness. And we can put on truth, hard work, encouraging talk, compassion. It talks about what it looks like when we know who our identities are in Christ in loving relationships as parents and children, as husbands and wives, as masters and servants. What it looks like to stand against Satan and his plans? What does it look like to grow in Christ? So I'm excited. I'm really excited for this book because it has been a great encouragement to me and I hope it will be for many of us to remember who we are just to stop and say, wow, God has done this and made us these people and then say, what does that look like though in life? What looks like these things in these relationships? As we uh, kind of wrap up our time, I'll invite our worship team up here um, I want to read a quote for you, though. Uh, this weekend and this uh, tomorrow, uh, many of you may have work off or school off. Uh, it's MLK Day. We celebrate um, the life of Reverend Dr. 
Martin Luther King Jr., another great long title. I love it. He wrote a letter when he was uh, in jail in Birmingham that is, uh, he wrote actually to the church. Uh, and it makes me think of this, the book of Ephesians. So I encourage you, this could be a good uh, like little process, a little activity for you to maybe this weekend, uh, maybe tomorrow to read this letter so you can find that line. It's not very long to encourage you. But he, he talks in this letter about what this looks like to be uh, our identities and a God. It made God's people. And what does that look like then? It should look like something, not just we just hold on and go, oh, this is nice. God made me, chose me, and loves me. There's something that happens to you. You move differently towards people. And he says this, there was a time when the church was very powerful, the time when the early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. Whenever the early Christians entered a town, this is the part I want to see here, whenever they entered a town, the people in power became disturbed and immediately sought to convict the Christians for being disturbers of peace and outside agitators. But the Christians pressed on. And the conviction that they were, hear this phrase, a colony of heaven, called to obey God rather than man. You know that colony? I love that phrase, a colony of heaven. God's presence moves with his people into a place because those people's identities change. They become God's people and that colony of heaven moves into a place, right? Pushing out darkness, bringing justice where there's injustice and no longer worried about what people say or even obeying people as much as obeying their God who now is who they are. Their identities change and it changes who they are. It's encouragement and a, and a huge challenge for me, and I hope for all of us. I pray that even those words and uh, would, in, would encourage us to be those people, that we'd rest in our identities in Christ and that we'd move from there. So I'm excited for this. We get to spend uh, some months in Ephesians and be people who just get to learn who we are and learn what that looks like as it plays out. A couple of questions here as I want you to think about as we enter a time to reflect we have time to be able to take communion, celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus, the thing that makes us alive, that brings us into the family. That's outside in the hallway if you want to take communion. Um, and there's also people in the back of the room who are available to pray for you if you need prayer. Um, but first, let me just ask you a few things to consider as we reflect here. Do you know that you're a saint through Christ? That's, that's the, the starting place. Hey, I don't even know that. Today would be the day. Jesus, yes. Say, yes, I want to follow you. I believe you're the one who makes, makes me God's. Consider where you're getting your identity from. Who, who's telling you where, where is that coming from? What shapes your faithfulness in your day? Maybe just even it's a moment today to ask, God, what do you, what do you want from me during this time? What do you hope to grow in during this time in Ephesians? God, teach me something. Maybe there's something already stirring in you. What is that? And, um, Take some time to pray. So our, our worship team here is going to play for a few minutes just to give us some time to reflect. You can take communion. You can ask for prayer. And then we're going to sing a couple songs before we head out. Let me pray for us as we get started here. Lord, thank you for your goodness that you have given us this word that we have been changed. You changed Paul. You brought that word to these places that brought the words to more places and more churches. And today we stand, we sit in a church in Minnesota because your work continues to move, and we keep hearing this good news. And I pray that that would change us. Our identities would change. We'd know that's true, and that would change the people we are. Pray this in your really good name. Amen.